Welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, episode six. I'm Ainsley Arment, and I'm here with Tina Ingold. Today, we're talking about nature. In just a little bit, we're going to hear a conversation between Jennifer Pepito and Greta Eskridge, all about nature study and how to form your own nature group. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. book by Scott Sampson. Do you know who that is? Yeah, How to Raise a Wild Child. Yes, have you read that? Yes, I love it. Ainsley, it's like one of my favorite books right now. I I checked it out from the library and I should have just bought it because I kept going overdue and I had to keep checking it out because I just didn't want (laughs) to return it. I know. Yeah, I keep writing notes down about the things that he said and I am am just obsessed with it. I think one of the things that really struck me was um, how he talked about he grew up in the 60s and 70s where, you know, the parents just kicked the kids outdoors and they didn't come back until dinner time. But now fast forward to the 21st century and think about everything that's changed. Oh, he was talking about a study that was done and he was saying that kids spend an average, this is so crazy to me, of four to seven minutes of unstructured outdoor play. Wow. Can you believe that though? That feels so... uh, Yeah, I know. As a homeschool mom too, that feels crazy because my kids have so much unstructured time. But he was saying like some of the reasons is because of introduction of technology, which is something I know that we like to talk about a lot. But he was saying that same study says that kids devote seven hours a day to technology. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I wrote that down Yeah, which is like, Mm -hmm. did you really? Yeah. Which, I mean, that includes TV, iPads, all that. Uh, That just blew my mind. Ages 8 to 18, devote an average of Mm -hmm. 7 hours and 38 minutes using entertainment media. So not just learning, computers, things like that, but entertainment media in a typical day. That's 53 hours a week. Obviously, that's caused a rise in, you know, physical and mental illness in children, which is really sad. And other things too, obesity, heart disease, you know, other ailments. But that was just so heartbreaking to me. It really is. Yeah. No, that's a great book. I highly recommend How to Raise a Wild Child by Scott Sampson. And he's the guy that does the whole, ironically, a TV show. For yes, kids. Yes. He's, the, he's the paleontologist on the end of a uh, dinosaur yes, train. Yes. Right? Yeah, he says, I'm Scott the paleontologist. So funny. It made me want to look it up and watch it. And then I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My kids used to watch Dinosaur Train. It's been years since we watched it, but they love that show. Another thing that he was talking about that I found really interesting is a reason that kids don't get the unstructured outdoor play is because of the fear factor. Mm -hmm. He was saying that, you know, first of all, parents are afraid to let their kids go outside unattended for multiple reasons. You know, that makes sense to me. But the one that I didn't consider is the fear of their children falling behind. He was saying that we feel this pressure to fill our schedules with sports and music lessons and tutoring and all that, that it leaves very little time for unstructured play. And I felt like that is so true. Like, I even feel that pressure to make sure my kids are doing all the things that their friends are doing and filling up their schedules with things that we're supposed to be Mm -hmm. doing, you know, and it leaves hardly any time for them to just be out in nature and playing. No, that's really true. And I feel that way too. Sometimes I feel like I'm in my own little bubble at times. 
which not yeah. intentionally, but you know, we're in the day to day and our kids are just exploring and out in the backyard. And you know, we don't do these amazing hikes every day mm-hmm. or even weekly, but we have all this free time and I'll text people, hey, do you want to go meet us at the park? Or do you want to go for a walk? And you know, I rarely get people that will say, yeah, yeah, there's usually no, I'm going from mm-hmm. baseball practice to this event or they have a Latin tutor at this time. And I always right. then I suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I've been in my own little wild and free nature bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, and those insecurities start to creep in like, ah, my kid doesn't know Latin. Exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I was like, even know I, how hear to I am. Baseball. Like we're in this bubble and there's a whole world out there happening and my kids are missing out and we don't do any of it. <laughs> And then you start to like question them like, um, do you know any Latin words or like, do you even know what the Spanish word for hello is? Like, you know what I mean? Or I don't know. It's like so silly how we do that to ourselves. Stay tuned, everyone. In just a minute, we're going to hear a conversation with Greta Eskridge, all about using nature study as science. Greta has been using the Charlotte Mason method of nature study since day one in her homeschooling, and her kids have become skilled observers and budding naturalists. We'll be sharing that in just a few minutes. But I think it's great to have tons of free time to be out in nature. And I think it's interesting to what you're saying. Like a lot of times we think of nature as being this big separate thing from ourselves, you know, like the national parks and forests and beaches. But really like nature is everywhere. It's all around us. It's in our backyard. It's in our gardens. And to be aware of that is really important. Absolutely. Um, You know, yeah, go ahead. One of the things that I loved about that book, How to Raise a Wild Child, is when the author was talking about what nature is most impactful upon a child Mm -hmm. it was the nature closest to home it wasn't the national parks and the amazing hikes to go see waterfalls which are amazing and so great if you can take your kids to those once a month once a year you know once in their lifetime but it was giving them frequent opportunities to spend time in nature close to home because that's sort of what creates their geography well adults we kind of have developed this appetite for like something bigger and better Mm -hmm. and we you know developed wanderlust and all this but kids don't really have that desire and so my kids think finding an anthill in the backyard is the coolest discovery absolutely (laughs) yeah so I think just to help them along with that Charlotte Mason I love her but she really pushes the power of observation and I think that's huge actually I wrote down a quote by her that I wanted to share because I thought it was so cool it says we feel this need especially today in a world where our children are surrounded by contrived entertainment with technology at their fingertips. It's so much easier to watch a movie or play a computer game than to take a walk and actively engage the mind. But if the study of nature is presented in a positive, enthusiastic manner, children will no longer spend dull, boring days outside trying to find anything to pass the time. Once children's powers of observation have been stimulated, they're able to see details of God's glory in the smallest leaf while their playmates only see the grass as a good soccer field. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that so mm-hmm. cool? I know. So I think that's something we like to stimulate is the power of observation just even in our own backyard. Yes, you know? yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons why nature is such a big part of Wild and Free and just along the same lines as childhood and giving them time to play is because I personally feel like it's more important to help our kids gain those skills of observation at a young mm-hmm. age than just learning the facts. Yeah. Piling their brains.
brains full of information. But if we can teach them to just observe and pick up on those details and just become discoverers and explorers, I don't know, it opens up so much in their mind and just the possibilities become endless for them. Something I've been thinking about a lot lately is just keeping my mouth shut when we're outside in nature instead of, you know, the kids will say, hey, mom, what kind of bird is that? You know, I want to show my wealth of knowledge (laughs) and be like, oh, it's a robin, kids. (laughs) But instead of doing that, I should just ask questions or say, you know, well, let's try to figure it out together. You know, what color is it? And, you know, what kind of song is it singing? And, you know, just asking questions and maybe writing those down. And then we can come home and maybe try to figure it out together or just even piquing their curiosity is is great and just I don't know just keeping our mouths shut I think is really helpful too and getting our kids to it's so true I have an example of when I well I mean I tried to do what you said but this isn't that long ago we were at yeah. the library we were checking out some books and we were heading back to our car and we heard this really cool bird sound some kind of mm-hmm. bird call and I can't I don't know I can't make the sound <laughs> all on, the bird lovers <laughs> listening will be like I know what that was <laughs> we all stopped and even the kids I was so proud of them because we all stopped and they were like mom did you hear that and Mm -hmm. I was like yes I did and they said what is it and I thought I don't know so I said well (laughs) I was like I don't know I wish I knew what it was does anybody see it and Cody was like I'm looking for it and they kept trying to look for it but it, it was dusk it was getting dark and we couldn't find it and the trees were really tall So I said, oh my gosh, I know what I'm going to do. So I looked on my phone for a bird app that I had downloaded, I don't know, sometime last year. And I couldn't find it on my phone. And I realized I had gotten a new phone. So I real quick went to the app store. (laughs) And I'm trying to all do this in the parking lot. And I'm looking for this bird app. But I couldn't find the one that I bought. And so I just had to like rebuy a new one. And I bought it. It was like $5.99. And I was like, oh, geez. I've already bought like a dollar one before. (laughs) I can't believe I'm going to do this. But they were so excited. I just bought the app. It'll like listen to what the sound is and then it'll oh, tell you sound. all the okay. stuff about the bird and you know I'm waiting watching that circle go around and it's loading and when it downloads I downloaded it for Eastern Europe oh no I was like guys just get in the car let's just get home just. I was so depressed I don't even care about the stupid bird <laughs> I was like I just wasted $5.99 on a bird identification app for Eastern Europe. (laughs) We try so hard, don't we? Now here's the conversation between Jennifer Pepito and Greta Eskridge. Greta is one of our dearest friends in the wild and free community. She's a regular contributor to our monthly content bundles, and she's one of the writers for the Wild Explorers Club magazine. Let's listen in. I met Greta a few years ago at my first Wild and Free conference, and I've been a big fan of hers since. She's on Instagram at mompawmodern, and she also blogs at mompawmodern.com. So thanks so much for joining me. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Jen. It's my pleasure. I am excited to chat with you about nature study. I think that most of us in the Wild and Free community love watching you and your four kids explore so many interesting places in the mountains and the hills and the beaches around Los Angeles. So I'd love to hear more from you about how you discover so many amazing places 
businesses and also how you built that community. Oh, I'm excited. I love talking about this. It's obviously a huge passion of mine. And I feel like almost like I have this missionary zeal to encourage other parents to get their kids and themselves out in nature, because I think it's just one of the best places to learn. And it's one of the best ways to bond with your kids. Yeah, I could talk about it all night. <laughs> so how did you originally start your adventure group or your nature group? We call ourselves Adventure Club. We are a nature study group, but we love to go on adventures in order to study nature. So that's the name that we came up with our group. We started... Gosh, we've been together a long time now. My oldest, who will be turning 13 next month, he was five when we started. So when we started, I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. There was just a group of us moms who were all starting homeschooling. Our oldest were all in kindergarten. We wanted to meet together once a week, and we wanted to be outside. We wanted to be in nature, and we started at nature centers and parks because that felt very accessible. We all had several small kids, that seemed like a good place to start. We didn't start out like hiking mountains because none of us felt ready for that yet. We just grew from there with our kids. We grew and um, have just taken on more and more. We've learned more. We've all just grown up together and it's been a pretty amazing journey. So as you've been doing it for six or seven years now, what have you found to be some of the biggest benefits to your kids and yourself even from having this consistent nature group? Like I said, I think nature is a wonderful place to learn. I'm going to break it into categories <laughs> because there's so many great things. In the realm of learning, I feel like it's really helped kids' habit of observation. We're big into the philosophy of Charlotte Mason, and observation is an important part of that philosophy of education, looking at the world around you. When you're hiking, not to just focus on the destination, not to get lost in getting through the miles, but to stop and notice the smallest details around you. Oh, there's new wildflowers are coming up. Did you see that wild cucumber vine? There's a there's a bird in the bushes. What kind is it? So their habit of observation and their ability to observe has just grown leaps and bounds. I think also in the terms of learning, their curiosity, they've become very curious about why things are the way they are, how the seasons affect nature, the places we visit over and over again why this animal lives here. And one of my favorite stories that exemplifies this is we found some wild cucumbers growing on the trail and my son picked them. First, the kids, they wanted to taste them and we knew wild cucumbers weren't poisonous. So we said, sure, go for it. If you don't know what a wild cucumber is, they smell like regular cucumbers, but they have a very prickly, spiny outer covering. So they peeled that off with their pocket knives and they took a bite of a whole bunch of the kids did. And then they all started screaming and gagging because they tasted horrible. They're super duper bitter. That was the first discovery, the curiosity. And I, I think just letting them have that curiosity and take it to the next level is such a great opportunity for learning. Because then what my son did next was he took a wild cucumber home and he said, I just want to learn more about what these 
I want to learn about them. So we studied them and we learned that the Native Americans use them for all kinds of different things. They use them as kind of like a soap because you dry the wild cucumber and the outer prickly stuff comes off and inside it looks like a loofah. It's a sponge. They would use it to scrub their skin. They used them for fishing. They used it for medicine. So we researched all the different ways that the Native Americans use the wild cucumber. The cucumber we brought home, we actually soaked it till the outer prickly part came off and we saw that these beautiful red seeds inside that the Native Americans would use as beads for necklaces. And then we found the loofah. He took a shower and scrubbed with it. So it was just this amazing nature study lesson that was just inspired by curiosity of seeing the cucumbers growing on the trail and wanting to learn more about them. How amazing that you could get so much learning out of one incident. Exactly. And that's why I love being out in nature so often consistently because we see things over and over again and they're inspired. They want to know more. So then when you are out in nature and you guys are making the discoveries and then going home and journaling about them, do you also add a science curriculum in? I don't. I actually only use nature study as our science. And I use a lot of different books to supplement our nature study. So we're not just like, oh, we saw a bird today. Let's draw it in our nature journal. We will learn about the birds that we saw. And we have specific studies for each term that are our focus so that we're definitely getting a broad range of science topics. But I don't have like a science textbook and we're not going through a specific curriculum. Nature study is the emphasis and we use different books to aid our study. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. I had a science co-op with my elementary kids for a few years. And the first couple of years, I used the Apology Elementary series. But then the next year, we were studying birds. And I really wanted to be able to have a little bit more fun with it. So we ended up just using picture books and our nature studies for that whole year studying birds, which was a lot more engaging than reading a lot of text. Right. I actually just wrote an article for the next Wild and Free Bundle. And I write about our nature study in the process. I follow the nature study guidelines that are on Ambleside. And like I said, every term, there's a different emphasis. So for example, this term, we've been studying rocks. And I just talk about the process of how we've used nature study following that guideline that's listed in Ambleside. There's a different emphasis for each term. So we do three different things each year and it's a five-year cycle. So when five years are done, we'll cycle back through. We're almost ready to start over again what we started five years ago. And my kids are super excited because there's things that they can't wait to revisit. In the article, I share our process and then I share a lot of the resources, the books that have been our favorites that I return to time and again that have been great for helping in our nature study and just really wonderful illustrations and great storytelling because when it's a narrative story instead of like a textbook that's so dry it really brings us in and helps us care about nature even more. I love that and so people can look for that article in the April Wild and Free Bundle. Yes. How exciting. I can't wait. So how do you keep kids safe when you have like a lot of toddlers and moms who are trying to take care of a baby? Because I actually another one of my nature groups, we got together for just like five minutes. One of the four-year-old was out of sight. So it wasn't a long time, but this kind of stuff can happen. So how do you keep kids safe when you're dealing with that many small children and moms also holding a baby? <laughs> So that 
that is always a challenge. I think there are a number of different things. When all my kids were younger, I was a lot more strict about keeping them near, keeping them in my sight line. And most of the other moms were as well. So that was kind of the training ground and teaching them how they could act on a trail. Like what was a safe tree to climb? What was a a safe rock to climb? Where was it safe to go off the trail? Where was it not? So when they were all little, we spent a lot of time training them so that as they got older, they earned more and more freedom. We've developed different techniques as they've gotten older to give them, it's like been incremental. Okay, you can go ahead and when we call you, you need to listen for a call and you need to call back. And if you don't hear us, you've gone too far and you have to stop. Different checkpoints to give them freedom. When we found that they were abusing it or they weren't being careful, then they would lose freedom for a little while. And that's devastating. So they're actually very good and very rarely does anybody lose freedom. And then I think what's happened with the younger kids, because they've all grown up doing this from the time that they were infants, they are a lot more confident, which on the one hand is good because they know a lot about how to act on the trail. The danger of that is that you have someone like my five-year-old who thinks he's 10 and can do anything and he's very confident on the trail and he can do a lot, but sometimes it's a little overwhelming. So there are a few of us moms who will just sort of take over the position of we're going after all the, you know, five-year-olds who are confident confident on the trail, confident climbing rocks, confident climbing trees, but need some supervision. Well, the moms who have babies, they might be at the back of the trail because they have to go slower. They know that there's going to be some moms and some older kids watching their preschooler kindergartners. So we all just team up and help each other out. That's really awesome. And and it's a great way to build community mothers to be Uh willing to let another mom hold your baby or let another mom tell your five-year-old to get out of the creek before they get right. washed away you know so yeah that's awesome that you guys can work together like that I love it I think too that we are a little bit less of the helicopter moms I noticed that simply because whenever we're out in places where there are other hikers or we're camping or something where we're encountering more people and they see our kids climbing trees or climbing rocks or hiking ahead and they'll say are those your kids and they seem very concerned that our kids are doing things that they perceive as dangerous. And we're just always quick to say, yes, there are kids, but they've climbed that tree before or they know about rock climbing. They're actually really competent and, and they're always a little surprised. And some people are excited and they say, oh, right on. We love seeing kids that can do that and that they're able to do that in this day and age. And But other people are worried. <laughs> and so I think for us, it's important to give our kids freedom once we've taught them how to be safe and be careful that we trust them. We don't want to constantly hover because I think that's one of the other learnings that being out in nature has given my kids is they've actually learned a lot about themselves and how to trust their bodies and how to make wise choices and to look for plants that aren't safe and to watch for snakes. And I don't want to have to tell them how to behave constantly. I want them to know how to act. (laughs) 
they need to be able to self-monitor. I think that's an important thing that being out in nature teaches them. Yeah. And especially if you do it in kind of incremental steps where you go to exactly. maybe a brook first where the worst consequence is getting wet before you right. try to take them on the mist trail in Yosemite or something. So. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why we started when all our kids were little, five and under, we started at nature centers where the trails were very safe and very mild and we didn't start off doing some of the much more wild excursions that we do now. So if someone was trying to start a nature group, what are like the first, just real quick, the first three steps that you took to start one? Most important step is to find some fellow like-minded moms. So for example, like I said, if you are three moms who are a little more laid back and not going to be really hovering over your kids and you're willing to give them some freedom on the trail and then the other mom that's there is really stressed out about that, that might not be a good match. She might feel really uncomfortable and feel like her kids aren't safe, but she doesn't want to say anything because she doesn't want to be the wet blanket. So you need to find a group of like-minded moms, whether that's just one to start with or, you know, seven, but that you have sort of the same philosophy and you have the same goals. Our group wanted to study nature, to be out in nature. We wanted to do a lot of hiking. We didn't want to just meet at the playground and have the kids play on the swings and the monkey bars every week. We wanted to be out in actual nature, that the trees and rocks would be their swing set and monkey bars. So finding people with similar goals and similar philosophies is really the best place to start. And then setting up a schedule. We meet twice a year. We plan our first half of the year together. We we pick out all of our hikes, all of the museum trips that we're going to do, or if there are field trips we want to do related to what we're studying. So this semester, we did a lot of trips to places that had amazing rock formations to look at, rocks to climb on. We plan those. And so you need to come up with a schedule that you're not just picking things at the last minute, like, oh, what should we do this week? I think it's really valuable to have a plan, come up with where you want to go and what you want to do. What's your emphasis going to be? Are you going to have something you want to study together? The last thing, if you're going to do my top three, I'm just sort of coming up with this off the fly. So um, I'm struggling for the last one. Um, I guess just that you add some other things in. For us, that has been a really amazing part of our nature study. So for example, we do a book club. In addition to our nature study, we read four books a year and we have a book club celebration. All the kids read the same book. We have one meeting where we discuss the book and have a celebration about the book. We also do nature study presentations. So whatever our emphasis for that term has been, the kids all pick something under that umbrella and study it and do a presentation to their peers. And that's been a great thing to add to our group as well. So basically, anybody can start a nature group. The main thing is find a few friends who want to do it with you and that you guys kind of have a similar philosophy about children in nature and then Uh set up a plan for where you're going to go. Yes. Awesome. Yes, it's not hard. It just takes commitment, you know, packing lunches every week, being willing to get dirty, probably sweaty. Tears will be cried along the way. That's okay. But it's fun will it. be ha- but fun will be had. So It really will. Yes. I mean, every time you're like getting out the door. I mean, still I don't even have little babies anymore and it's still always every time like 
rushing out to get out the door. And then you get there and you think, oh man, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Right. It's the best for connection for sure. And speaking of connection, I'm super excited to see you at the national conference in Nashville, Tennessee in September. I cannot wait. It is, it's so exciting. The Wild and Free conferences are really one of the best weekends of my entire year. And this one's just going to be phenomenal. Me too. I only wish it was closer, but of course I'm just counting down the days until we all get to be there in Nashville. Yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait. So thanks a lot for joining me, Greta. I'm glad to be here and it was so good to talk to you again. I loved talking about nature with, with all of you and I hope you mamas listening are excited to get out and take your kids into nature and learn there. Me too. Thanks, Greta. Thanks so much, Greta. If you're listening and would like to dive more into this topic, our new April bundle, Nature, is live this week. For more information, just go to bewildandfree.org slash bundles. That's all the time we have for today, but join us next week on the Wild and Free podcast. Mm-hmm.